tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are. I was just discussing with the voice in my head the halcyon days of our youth. Moving along, <clears throat> he assures me that I'm live. And that said, let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them with the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Once, once again, once again, I, I want to point out that that these are abbreviated sort of Reader's Digest uh, condensations of readings from Scripture. And the idea is not to hide any text of Scripture from you, but to uh, encourage you to read the whole thing. So we go to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Site website, we go to daily Bible, daily readings, and then we see big bold print Monday of the first week of Lent, and then just below it, a little to the right and a little below, right across from where it says reading one, we see LV 19 colon 1 dash 2 comma 11 18. It is not a combination to a safe, it is the text the abbreviated text. But if you click on that, it will take you to the whole chapter, chapter 19. That's what I want to look at. Uh, this is, again, a, a recapitulation of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are repeated a number of times in in the, the law, in the Torah. We see, speak to the whole Israel community, say, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you revere your mother and father. Keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn aside to idols, nor make molten gods for yourselves. I, the Lord, am your God. By molten God, it means gods of uh, metal that you would melt down. And it's very interesting because they translate it, uh, do not turn aside to idols. <clears throat> There's a very specific word for for idol in, in uh, Hebrew. Uh, let me pull it up. I think it's a pestle. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay. This is Leviticus 19, the fourth, uh, 19, 19th chapter, the fourth verse. And the word here is, um, do not, uh, do not bow down to gods. 
that's I think that's the literal literal word. Um, no, oh no 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 no, that's not uh, to to. It's a pun on the word God. The word for God is is El, and this is a kind of a pun. It's Ha Elilim. Uh, uh, that's that's it means nothingness or insufficiencies, uh, things that are not worth worth worshiping. Uh, uh, and then it has the word for a God, Elohim. So this seems to be kind. Of, I think it's kind of an interesting pun. Literally in Hebrew, it's "Do not turn." El ha Elohim welohe, which is variations on the the el. So uh, that's. Uh, don't bow down to worthless gods, uh, to worthless things, and to to gods made of metal, mold, molded gods. Uh, now, when we're forbidden uh, to to um, in another version of the Ten Commandments, when we are forbidden to worship idols, it's pes. I think it's pesilim. I have to look it up. But the uh, it's a very specific word meaning a false a false god. Imagery is not forbidden in the Old Testament, uh, though Orthodox Jews would interpret it to be, they're always on the safe side, uh, and so they would interpret it as being any kind of image, a graven image, a picture, not, not a problem, but a, 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 a statue of any kind, uh, they would forbid. But if you look, there were the cherubs, the big, the big angry cherubim in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, or rather, covering the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, and there were the the images of of cherubim on the walls of the temple, and so they did allow for religious imagery, provided it was not a god. And you know, when people criticize us Catholics for religious art, they really don't understand us at all. First of all, the images are largely of the saints, our Blessed Mother and the saints, and they are not gods. That would not be forbidden in this interpretation of of the law forbidding idolatry. Uh, <clears throat> and the reason that we have images of Christ is that he chose to be incarnate in human form. And in the Eastern church, they don't do pictures of, of the father, uh, generally speaking, or the Trinity. We do because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus himself, we claim to be, the to be our right to to image God, but we don't worship those things. I have never worshipped a graven image in my life. Well, let's go back to the text. And then uh, there are all these interesting kind of laws. When you sacrifice your communion sacrifice, you shall sacrifice so that it is acceptable on your behalf. It must be eaten on the day of your sacrifice. In other words, it's it's not well. We'll we'll take the leftovers home for later. That's that would violate the sense of. Of the sacrifice. This isn't about, oh, good, we're going to have a sacrifice, so we'll have sandwiches tomorrow and the next day. No, it's to be eaten on the day of the sacrifice. If any is eaten on the third day, it will be a desecrated offering and not be accepted. Then it talks about reaping the harvest of your land. Uh, don't, don't, don't do it thoroughly. Leave something for the poor who come gleaning, who come to get the remnants of the harvest. That's true of the of the of the farm field and the vineyard. Then it says, "You shall not steal. You shall not speak falsely uh, to one another." And uh, very interesting in verse fourteen, 
It says, You shall not insult the deaf, or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. To me, this is an interesting verse, uh, verse 14 of Leviticus 19, that people who have a disability are to be respected and cared for. This was a new idea, really, in the ancient world, I think. Um, You shall not spread slander. You shall not uh, hate any of your kindred in your heart. That includes in-laws. Reprove your neighbor. I'm just saying that, but it does. So take no revenge, cherish no grudge. This is interesting to me. Why do we want to take revenge? Have you ever considered that? You know, we don't usually take revenge, but sometimes we'd like to. And the place where we most take revenge is, well, on the road. Somebody passes you and you get ticked off and, and you try to get in front of them and slow down. That's revenge. That's forbidden in the scriptures. Why do we do it? Because we have a sense of powerlessness. I I suppose that's it. And we want to be in control of our situation. Have you ever thought of that? That when you you get angry in traffic and you try to cut someone off who has passed you, what what are you doing? That, that, That practice is forbidden in Scripture. Um, of course, I'm probably the one passing you, but I'm on, I'm always in a rush, but think about it. What good does revenge do? What good does it do? Uh, it just gives you a sense of control. That's a false sense of control. We don't control our lives. We, we try our best to do well and we leave it in the hands of the Lord. Um, you know, we get so angry at people, and most of the time, the people at whom we are angry, the people, you know, we're fuming inside, sometimes for years, the person we're fuming at doesn't know, and if they knew, they they, they wouldn't care. So this is a very interesting, um, a very interesting kind of um, phenomenon in human life that we, we, we want to take revenge, but it doesn't work. So don't cherish grudges. The person against whom you have a grudge doesn't know it, and it doesn't do you much good. The only person who it hurts when you are angry at someone is usually yourself. And he goes on, do not breed any of your domestic animals with others of a different species. Do not sow a field of yours with two kinds of seed. Do not put on a garment woven of two different kinds of thread. This is an interesting rule. It's called shotness, separation. And it is symbolic, I suspect, of the separateness uh, of of the people of Israel from their neighbors who practiced abominations such as fertility cults and the sacrifice of children and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and these rules really did keep them separate. These are the chukim. I've, I've shared with you that in the Torah there are 613 laws, at least by the reckoning of someone named Maimonides. I think he's the one who toted them up as 613 in the Middle Ages. And uh, the uh, um, this this kind of um, these the chukim. Well, the, you have the the moral laws which repeat throughout the Torah, as we see. This is one of the repetitions of the Ten Commandments. Then we have the liturgical laws, which were fulfilled in Christ, and then we have these chukim, which were designed to keep Israel apart from. Uh, um, uh, um, from their neighbors. So these are very, very interesting rules that we find in the book of Leviticus, and they all are fulfilled in Christ. That said, let us move on to the gospel. Is there anything here that I want to 
beat on a little more. Now I think we'll go to the gospel. This is Matthew, the 25th chapter, the 31st verse and following. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him. This is interesting. The Son of Man. uh, um, I've, I've shared with you a number of times that the Son of Man is a title that the devil never accords to Jesus. The devil is fine calling Jesus the Son of God but not the Son of Man. I, I've heard people say, well, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. He, he didn't call himself God. By by arrogating to himself the terms, maybe that's too strong a word, by attributing to himself the, the phrase Son of Man, he's claiming divinity because the Son of Man, we find in the book of Daniel, is a celestial being coming directly from the throne of God, from the Ancient of Days. And, and this is a, a title of of celestial origin and even divinity so this is this is when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on a glorious throne throne uh you know the devil's a very good theologian he he can acknowledge the divinity of christ he knows more about god than you and i do uh because he was an angel in the presence of god before he fell well all the nations will be assembled before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. What's so bad about the goats? I mean, goats are, well, very tasty. And they're very useful. And there's goat milk and goat milk cheese. And and I think they even produce a wool. And, you know, what's so much better about goats than, than, than sheep? Well, goats do not follow a master's voice very easily and they do not uh herd very well goats have a mind of their own and they will do what they want sheep are what you would call gregarious the voice in my head is talking about you were visiting sheep this weekend i was visiting a sheep with my fiance's oh. sister and brother-in-law and they have a small and- sheep and sheep will follow you wherever you're going yeah, yeah, they are gregarious. In other words, that's from the Latin word for flock. Uh, grex is a flock. And so if you're gregarious, you, you want to be part of the flock. And goats, they don't want to be part of a flock. They, they want to do what they want to do. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting thing. So he goes on and says to the sheep on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. I'm, hold on, where's my, where's, I successfully pressed the cough button when I sneezed. All right, moving along. That's a great triumph as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I award you no points, and may God have mercy (laughs) on your soul. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, that's something at least. Moving along here. Uh, What's all this about? Uh, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. A stranger, you welcome. When do we do these things, Lord? Um, That... uh, when you did it for the least of my brothers. In other words, sheep, they're, they're aware of the other. And, you know, the first one about the second question asked of humanity was <laughs> Cain to God, asked by humanity, Cain to God, am I my brother's keeper? And in this, Christ answers that, that eternal question. Yes, you are. That, that, the sheep of God are concerned for the flock. They aren't just kind of grand loners who go leaping across the mountains by themselves. 
So this is a very important idea. And of course, this, this is always used as a proof text that works are necessary for salvation. It isn't just works. I wouldn't say that this shows that works are necessary for salvation. The transformation of the person is necessary for salvation so that you become like Christ, who was infinitely concerned for the sick and the poor and the hungry. Uh, you know, I, 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 I was watching the, uh, uh, the latest episodes of The Chosen, which, you know, I, The Chosen is 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 very good. I, I really think it's very good. It's very well done. There are spots that I'm not real fond of. You know, the the getting ready for the big show, uh, the the Sermon on the Mount. I think that was very poorly done. But the walking on the water was one of the most. It it was actually visually stunning. Uh, but the multiplication of the loaves was very well done. Very well done. So. Uh, Jesus worried about the poor and the hungry. And if we are going to be the sons and daughters of God, that's what we have to become. And if we resist it by saying, I don't need works, I don't need works to go to heaven. I can just be my old narcissistic self. And if I'm saved, I'm saved. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> well, let's let's get to this. Uh, um, oh, dear. Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his um and his angels as one of the few places in the scripture where jesus mentions actual hellfire and i remember uh sharing an idea with an exorcist that didn't impress him at all because he already knew it i was thinking you know we talk about the fires of purgatory and uh that sounds just awful but um you know that some of the great mystics have talked about the sufferings of purgatory but the great difference between purgatory and hell in purgatory there is hope but the idea i had was that and it's taken from c.s lewis's screw tape letters and i always recommend as read by john cleese which you can get on youtube without any difficulty but the screw tape in the screw tape letter c.s lewis not a catholic talked about purgatory that we would someday stand before the light and the love of god and all that is in us that's darkness or or selfishness would be burned away by God's perfect light and love. The fires of purgatory are the fires of love. And then I was discussing this with a, an exorcist, and he said, "Yes, and and the fire, God's love, uh, that's the same fire as the fires of hell." I said, "What?" He said, "Yes." Don't forget the scripture says, "Though I I make my bed in hell, still you are there." Uh, that God is omnipresent, and C.S. Lewis deals with this. He has the devil saying that these vermin, they, they can behold his light, uh, whereas it is the, the background of our constant pain. If you have definitively and completely rejected love, love becomes a torture, and the infinite and perfect love of God becomes the infinite and complete torture. That the very love of God is, is what tortures the devil because the devil has rejected it. And those who choose the devil's part, they reject it. And this goes back to the goats. The goats don't want to hear a shepherd's voice you know, unless it involves getting fed. Uh, so this, this idea of, of the, uh, of the fires of hell and the fires of purgatory that these are the, this is the intensity of God's love, which is sheer torture for the devil, his angels, and those who have chosen his part. I think that is really interesting. So uh, uh, 
you know, that, that let's pray this Lent that we can become sheep and not goats. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with some letters and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. I suppose this could be used as liturgical music. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. We just keep on keeping on. We just keep on keeping on. Just keep on keeping on. Why not? What else are we doing? All right, let's go now to uh, where our letters. That's where we are. I got a wonderful note from, uh, let's see here. Where did I put it? I got a note from Monsignor, Monsignor, Monsignor Bob. That's what I'll call him. Uh, he sent me a really interesting article called uh, <laughs> Father Know-It-All Might Be Interested. And it really was interesting. Um, did we do the letter trumpet? Because this is a letter. I don't know if we... Oh, we did. I don't know. I'm, you know, meh. Trumpets, meh. At any rate, um, yes, a very interesting article. You can find it's from the Catholic Herald, The Great Tudor Bible Myth. It really is good. Uh, that is an absolute falsehood that the Catholic Church forbade the reading of the Bible. Um, we got a little nervous about it after the Reformation, but there were all sorts of translations throughout the entire history of the Church. And in fact is, it was the, the, the post-Reformation rulers of England, especially Henry VIII and his son, Edward, who burned religious literature constantly. They, any kind of mystical literature, religious, uh, religious, um, biographies, that's what they just burned them and, and used them for disgusting purposes. So this, this really is a complete myth. So, uh, I would recommend, I'm very grateful to Monsignor Bob. <laughs> okay. You know who you are. Uh, for sending me the article, The Great Tudor Bible Myth from the Catholic Herald. It, Herald, it really is excellent. So, hey, peruse it. Okay, let's see here. Let me... Okay, yeah, if you... Dear voice, do put a link if you can. All right, this one, let's see, this is a letter... Oh, this is a kind of interesting... Um, uh, <clears throat> letter from Mary... And I'm not sure if anyone told you this, but during the winter pledge drive, we had the gospel about the woman and Jesus and the dog. During her parish priest's homily, he commented how he learned, listening to relevant radio, that the translation was actually puppy. I thought it was cute. <laughs> and it, it is cute. But, you know, that just makes me crazy when they, you know, there's some currently popular theologian who says the most 
unbelievable things. He, he principally said about that uh, story about the Syrophoenician woman, who was actually, Syrophoenician is a fancy schmancy way to say Lebanese. The Lebanese lady who, who said came to Jesus when he was kind of out of the country with his, uh, with his disciples, spending some quality time with his disciples in Tyre and Sidon. She came up and said, my daughter's possessed by a demon. He says, well, shouldn't take the, the children's bread and throw it to the, most translations say dogs, and it, the word dog does not appear in the in the text. The do- word dog does not appear in the text. The word is puppy. The word puppy is kinarion. The word dog is kios. Two different things. And you can't say puppy without smiling. Um, the favorite member of the family is the puppy. Well, uh, Jesus is kind of having a fun interchange with a woman and kind of testing her faith but but on the other hand uh not not kicking her to the curb where is this currently popular theologian in the spirit of uh, wokeness said that yes jesus was a racist and uh, that's why he called a non-jewish woman a dog but this woman taught him a few things about racism this is unbelievable this is nuts Jesus who went to preach to the Gentiles uh, in the Decapolis. Jesus who who told the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, he was not a racist. And for this currently popular theologian to say that is, I think it's worse than heresy. It's kind of a, it's an insult to the Lord. Uh, you know, he's big on the, on the humanity of Jesus, which Jesus, he was a divine uh, person with a fully human and a fully divine nature. Uh, he was completely human and completely divine. That seems like a contradiction to us. But in Jesus, humanity and divinity are wed in a relationship from which there will never be a divorce. So uh, Jesus, yes, he was fully human, but it was the perfect humanity of Adam before the fall. Um, and this this theologian is doing so much damage by attributing, and he attributes faults to Jesus so that we can say, well, if Jesus wasn't all that, we don't have to worry about our own moral failings. And and it's it's just, to me, it's egregious, egregious heresy. Okay. And a great disservice to the faithful. All right, let's go to, uh, this is from, from Mike. Uh, having read the gospel reading from yesterday, this was a few days ago, if anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool, so as to become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. Do the Roman Catholics have fools for Christ's saints, like Orthodox do? Not quite as explicitly, but we have all sorts of uh, uh, beggar saints, uh, who, which is a kind of similar thing. They, 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 even, even St. Francis Xavier or St. Francis of Assisi would have been called a fool for Christ. We don't, we don't categorize them that way, but we have them. You know, he would, he would just enjoy when people threw stones at him because he was rebuilding a chapel. And when, when people would throw stones at him, he would pick up the stones to help build the chapel. That's pretty foolish looking, at least in the eyes of the world. And one of the, I, is it, oh, is it St. Benedict? Oh, uh, I cannot remember the name of the saint, but he was a poor beggar uh, who lived kind of on the steps of churches and a great saint. Uh, He actually visited and was sheltered by the father of uh, St. John Vianney, the curé of ours, the parish priest of ours. That's what curé means, the curate of ours. 
the Curé d'Art is a beautiful town in, France, in southern France. A very, very, very beautiful shrine to this great saint, the patron saint of priests. And uh, essentially, this great wandering poor man, uh, who everybody just kind of looked askance at, well, he uh, basically inspired St. John Vianney. Uh, um, uh, so we do have uh, foolish saints, though we don't really, uh, you know, in my experience, we don't talk about the holy fools quite in the way that the Orthodox do. So I don't know if that answers your question, but we got the saints. We don't we don't uh, categorize them that way, though, as far as I remember. All right. Now, this is a great fun one. <laughs> uh, the, the, back to my question about the Hail Mary. I've grown up saying Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou amongst women versus among women. My thought is that amongst is the better word to use because it describes not only was she chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ among the women of her time, but amongst all women of all time and all religions throughout all the universe. I think also the word amongst flows off the tongue a little better. I'm too fussy to, to cringe every time I hear the word among. Uh, seriously, though, I think this issue is worth addressing. Well, you know, I don't think it makes a great deal of difference, Sherry, because they mean exactly the same thing. What is the difference between among and amongst? That SST ending uh, is 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 an old is a not an old English form. It's a later English form that makes an adverb of the word. So among and amongst. It no longer functions as an adverb, but that was the point of it. For instance, what's the difference between beside and besides? Besides becomes an adverb, uh, according to the the article I read on it. So that S or ST, uh, um, uh, like in the midst, that ST ending, amongst, midst, uh, in the midst of means in the middle of. No difference in meaning whatsoever. Uh, amongst sounds kind of more elegant and more antique but it actually isn't more antique than than among among is the older form i thought it was kind of interesting i don't think you're too picky but you know if you enjoy saying amongst say amongst i tend to say amongst because that's the way i learned it so amongst other things all right moving along let's see here um i think I, therefore, I no, 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 I, I know, I'm, without thinking about it, a very interesting article, I don't know if I commented on this, um, I got a letter from Dan about, about, um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, it was a very interesting article about the, um, uh, the orthodox view of the papacy, they're willing to concede uh, that the papacy is a real thing, but that it isn't what we think of it. It wasn't as powerful in in its in times past as now, and that that certainly is true. Uh, the papacy has developed. However, I think it is incontrovertible that there was what we call the Petrine function, even among the apostles, that that. Um, um, you know, we have a different view of the history. And um, 
And I think that I guess what I really want to say is we can spend a lot of time and money and ink arguing about these things. And I don't know that it it quite serves the uh, um, the advancement of God's kingdom at all, that that when they see us arguing, it doesn't inspire people to become one of us. And one of the most powerful books I ever read was Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. And I recommend it to you wholeheartedly. She was a Dutch Reformed person whose father was just very devout. And uh, her brother was a Dutch Reformed minister in Holland. And they helped Jews escape from the Nazis um, before the war. And then when the war broke out, they said, well, if it was the right thing to do before the before Holland was occupied by, by the German army and the Nazis, well, it's still the right thing to do. So she became one of the, the most prominent spies in the area without her even knowing she was doing it. It was all just to, to get Jews to safety and out of Europe. And um, um, it's a wonderful book. But she was eventually arrested and put in a concentration camp. And when she talks about the concentration camp, which was just truly horrible, her sister Betsy died in the midst of it. It was truly horrible. And uh, But there are moments in which you're reading about it, and it sounds like this glowing and perfect world, because on a certain level it was. All of these women, many of whom had been prostitutes and all of whom came from different parts of Europe in Ravensbrück concentration camp. And they were from many different religious backgrounds. And when they talk about their prayer meetings and their Bible studies, they were able to smuggle a new Testament into the barracks. And uh, it, it just glows with the beauty of people who realized that they were in desperate need and that there was no point in their argument uh, about different theological perspectives. They loved the same Christ. And, you know, we can get all, you know, I firmly believe the Roman Catholic Church is the church established by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles. I really believe it. And that's why I'm a Roman Catholic. And not because my parents were Roman Catholic. I mean, in the early days of the charismatic renewal, uh, the Pentecostal movement, there are all sorts of people, both Catholic and non-Catholic, trying to get me out of the church. But I, I just realized that these, these manifestations of the Holy Spirit were the birthright of the Catholic Church. And I chose through that experience uh, to, to, to remain in, in the Catholic Church because I believe it's the truth. That does not separate me from people who don't believe it's the truth. Um, you know, when someone wants to argue with me about, about denominationalism and which is which, say, listen, you love Jesus, right? Of course I love Jesus. Well, so do I. Isn't that good enough? No, it's not. Yes, it is. It is. And if you see Christ more fully in me, then you might be interested in Roman Catholicism. I can't argue you into the church. I can, if you ask, I'll tell you why I made the decision I made. Uh, but there's no way I can argue you into the truth. I have to be the truth, you know, before I can convince you of it. And I remember hearing uh, a comment about uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, he developed his theories of nonviolence in large part by reading the Christian scriptures. He read the New Testament every day, apparently. And someone said, 
why don't you become a Christian? You read the New Testament every day. You've learned your, your theories from Christ. And he said, I see the waters of baptism on your forehead. <laughs> and you're not a Christian. And I don't know that that was Gandhi's real reason. Maybe it had something to do with Indian nationalism. But his point is well taken. Until people see Christ in me, they're not going to accept Christ from me. And as people see in me the beauty of what the Catholic life can be, they might be interested in it. So, you know, this this uh, I can write an article from the Catholic perspective about about the Council of Chalcedon, Cal Chalcedon, whatever we're gonna call it, or I can write about the history of the papacy and all this sort of thing. And you know, in the long run, who will I have convinced? It is my person and the virtue and the beauty of Christ that I demonstrate that is most convincing. And if it doesn't work in my life, why should I want you to accept it? So this Lent, work on being holy. As the reading said today, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. And uh, I think that that will do us a lot more than arguing. Uh, all right, that said, no, I'm beginning to sound liberal. <laughs> Don't trust me, I'm not. Let's go to a, Let's go to a break and we'll come back with our word of the day and then we will uh open the phones are open at 888-914-9149 battling addictions our sponsor saint gregory recovery center can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Then you better start swimming or you sink like a stone. All the times they are changing. Oh, hello. Welcome back. The times they are changing. They, they keep doing that. Um, you know, this was a great radical song when I was a great young radical, and well, uh, they really weren't changing. They're, you know, it's kind of funny. We were so big on, we were going to pull the fat out of the fire. We were the age of Aquarius. Everything was going to be great, and well, we didn't account for the idea that well, we were still human beings and sinners. So, well, that said, let us go to... Uh, let me see. The word of the day, I should find it in Greek. It's, it's got to be gymnos. Um, let's see. Where, where's the word? Yeah, gymnos, from which we get the word gymnasium. It means naked. <laughs> and the reason I'm bringing this up is there was a verse in Scripture that we had yesterday in the Sunday readings that always made me kind of crazy. I didn't understand the whole thing. We see in the very first reading about the creation that uh, they took the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband. He ate it. The eyes of both were open, and they realized they were naked. What was that about? I Then it finally occurred to me that, that you know... It is so funny when some little kid who's maybe one, one and a half, just learned how to walk, escapes from the changing table or the the bath and runs down the hall smiling at both ends. And that is, you know, mom and dad, wait, if they come back, they're laughing because it is so funny. That little kid has absolutely no shame. 
and and it just it's a hoot you know it occurred to me that that little kid knows that mommy and daddy love him or her and the fact is not changed by whether they're clothed or unclothed uh that that they just know that no matter what state they're in mommy and daddy love them and then there comes the day when they realize they can disappoint mommy or daddy and then in that sense they realize that they are naked in other words they have to put something on they have to to hide themselves and hide the truth of who they are um, in order to keep mommy and daddy happy at least they think so now a good parent even when their child does something that disappoints them they say well yeah you've disappointed me but I still love you and we'll work on this Adam and Eve had lost faith by their sin they had lost trust and they no longer trusted that the love of God was perfect and they realized that they had to hide themselves and I think that's what that verse means you know at the end of this season of Lent we will celebrate the holy days in Easter and I I, I think of of Jesus appearing before the apostles on Easter Easter night that they're hiding out for fear of the authorities and they're hiding out in shame for what they've done they all of them betrayed Christ and ran from him except John the evangelist but they were all ashamed and they hid themselves and they heard a voice from the door that said shalom alechem the door was locked but they heard a voice that they recognized and you know what shalom alechem means it means hello they heard a voice they recognized that said hello and they turned and there was jesus who'd come through a locked door and they fell back and he showed them his hands and his side in a wordless way he said look what you've done to me and i still love you with a love that death cannot conquer that's our redemption our, our having been bought back our being restored to the family which is god that that god loves us think of the most shameful thing that you've ever done or the most shameful thing ever done to you god knows all about it and he still loves you he loves you without your 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 uh your suits of armor or your fancy dress get up you know we dress ourselves up thinking that well that way we will hide ourselves from god and um you know parents you know your kids may become great in the world and have titles and and uh, uh letters after their name but you will never forget <laughs> that little kid running down the hall wearing nothing but the suit that you gave them on the day of their birth so Adam and Eve realized they were naked when they realized they had disappointed the father who loved them, but he still loved them. All right, let's go to uh, the phones, 888 I'm going to ask me a little easy question. Will you answer it? A tiny one. <laughs> Patty, have you got a tiny question? <laughs> All right. H hello? What can I do for you? Yeah, hello, Patty. Hi, what can yes. I do for you? So yes. I have a a Protestant um, relative that asked, yes. why do we pray to an to our guardian angel? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit is for? Well, it, it, Jesus said in the gospel, um, greater things 
that I have done, you also will do. Uh, that You see, so many people want to say it's just Jesus. Jesus didn't say that. He said, it is better for you that I go, that the Holy Spirit might come. You see, the Holy Spirit is most present in our in the care we have for one another. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is the very spirit of God's love. And God is not a rugged individualist. Goats are, but God is not. And he wanted us to love one another. And that includes the entire communion of saints and the whole fellowship of angels. We have a relationship to a, a great cloud of witnesses, as the letter to the Hebrew says, uh, um, that we're in a relationship with Jesus and everyone that Jesus loves. And that that really, I think, is is the way he looks at it when he said, what I have done and greater still will you do. Let me find that for you. Do you understand what I mean? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, what I said was, um, what I replied to him, because this is my 15-year-old nephew. What I replied okay. to him was, um, God made the angels. He didn't need to make them, but he did make them because he wanted to share. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a sharing here that he wanted to do, and um, I'm a little bit surprised because I remember my sister-in-law talking about angels that they do believe they in that uh, church that sure. they're in um, they do believe in angels. So I was a little bit taken back by the question, but okay, so it, it's pretty much well, what I was thinking. So okay, yeah, pretty much in John fourteen twelve. Uh, um, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I'm doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father, that Jesus went to the Father, that we might have a relationship not only to him, but to one another. And that includes all of those who are in God's grace. And that is most certainly the angels. You know, we, 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 we believe that we're in a great fellowship. And also the, the letter to the Hebrews talks about the great cloud of witnesses. Let me pull that up for you. Okay, the great cloud of witnesses uh, in Hebrews 12, 1. Uh, so Hebrews 12, 1 talks about our relationship to the angels. And uh, John fourteen twelve talks about our relationship to one another. And I think that that's a very important idea. So it's, I hope that helps a little. Yes. No, I just wanted to clear it up, make sure that it was my thought process was correct. Yeah. So it is. All right. Yeah. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, sure I appreciate that. Yeah. God bless. Okay, Patty. God bless. Let's go to Celeste from Denver, Colorado. Celeste, what can I do for you? I, well, hello, Father. I would just like a, uh, to, some advice on a friend's son is getting married. He's Roman Catholic. I'm Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. He's marrying yeah. a girl who's been raised in the SSPX church since, well, since she was born. And the mm-hmm. wedding will be taking place at the SSPX church in a big SSPX community in uh, Kentucky. Am wow. I able to go to that wedding? You know, my first instinct would be yes, you are. Because, um, you know, the, 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 the relationship we have to uh, um, SSPX wedding is... is, is um, it's ambiguous that they are in an, they're not, it seems that the current, uh, uh, um, uh, um, under the current, uh, 
teaching, as far as I understand it, they are not in schism. They're in an irregular relationships. Um, and, and for that, that, that under current laws, uh, the church, the marriage, those marriages are certainly valid. And therefore, they're not being married outside the church. Um, that's, okay. uh, you know, that's a Pope, Pope Francis wrote uh, an apostolic letter, Misericordia et Misera. And so he extended the faculties of confession uh, uh, beyond uh, that year of mercy. And then he goes on to say uh, uh, that all priests, this is in Pontifical Ecclesia Dei, uh, the, uh, the, 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 anyway, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith uh, addressed bishops uh, and Cardinal Miller reminded people in a document in 2017, I know this is kind of technical, but I think it's important to say it, that the Pope granted all priests of the society the faculty to validly administer the sacraments of penance to the faithful and to the validity and lyseity of that sacrament. And therefore, um, uh, that seems to be extended to marriages. Um, local ordinaries can grant faculties uh, and they sound like general faculties. So that's the best I know at the moment. So, yeah, I'd say go. Uh, go okay. and, uh, um, and I want to go, but uh, I just wanted to check. Sure. Yes. Yes. Well, you're you're certainly humble. And if I if I'm wrong, please, someone call in tomorrow and correct me. But I think that that is the actual situations uh, or the actual the situation as it exists now. Phew. Well, stay tuned because Drew is a lot less foggy than I am. Mm-hmm.